Right, so we're in uh, the minor profit series, majoring on the minors, and uh, we've spent a few weeks with Jonah, we've looked at Micah. Today we're going to be starting three weeks looking at Haggai. Has anyone ever heard of Haggai? One of those minor prophets. Perhaps some of you have heard little snippets from him. But we're going to take the whole, yes, two chapters. That's all Haggai has to his name, but it's good stuff. That's why he's a minor prophet, because it's a shorter book, not because of what he's saying is any less important. So I'm going to be kicking this off. Sam's following on next week, and then we've got Darren in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to get all through an end. So, to help us with getting our heads around how it works in the Bible and the context, I've got for you another one of the Bible Project videos focusing on Haggai. So let's have a look at this. Of the Bible. On the first day of the sixth 
SIPMAR, that's the 29th of August in our current dating system. I can remember that, it's my birthday. Well, the second year in the reign of King Darius of Persia, God's message was delivered by the prophet Haggai, by the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, son of Shechtel, to the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat. A message from God and the angel armies. The people procrastinate. They say this isn't the right time to build, rebuild my temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more. And Haggai spoke, How is it that it's the right time for you to live in your fine new home, while the home, God's temple, is in ruins? And then a little later, God and the angel armies spoke out again. Take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. You have spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. The people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out pocket, that's That's why God of the Angel Army said, Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. Then God said, Here's what I want you to do. Climb into the hill and cut some timber. Bring it down and rebuild the temple. Do it just for me. Honor me. You've had great ambitions for yourself, but nothing has come of it. The next year, the talk to my temple, I've blown away. There is nothing to do. Nothing to it. And why? This is a message from God for the angel army, remember? Because while you've run around, caught up with taking care of your own homes, my home is in ruins. That's why, because of your stinginess. And so I've given you a dry summer and a skimpy crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought, drying some fields and hills, withering gardens and orchards, stunting vegetables and fruit. Nothing, not man or woman, not animal or crop, is going to thrive. Then the governor, Sir Robert Paul, son of Shartle, and the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, and all the people with them listened, really the voice of their God. When God sent the prophet Haggai to them, they paid attention to him. In listening to Haggai, they honoured God. Then Haggai, God's messenger, preached God's message to the people, I am with you. God's word. This is how God got the Lord Joshua and all the people moving, got the moving on the temple of the God of the angel armies. This happened on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year. So we're going to take uh, this passage and look at it in three parts. First of all, the review, priority problem, reflection, pointless prompting, and response, progress, and presence. So we've got three R's and we've got six P's today. So first of all, the review for their priority problem. Verses 2, 4, and 9 say this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? My house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. And I state the problem. The Lord's house is in ruins, and the people do nothing about it. He rebukes them for having wrong priorities. 
18 years earlier, they started to rebuild the temple when they first came back, but then stopped. So what had happened? What had made them stop? Was it that they faced difficulty? That things had got tough? So often when we step out for God and seek to honour him, we, we face a backlash. And actually the Jewish people certainly had that. When they came back to Rehab and Ezra and Nehemiah, when they started to rebuild, the people in the area did not want that to happen. They faced abuse, they felt persecution. persecution. They were ridiculed, they even got physical at times. And so maybe they backed off because it got difficult, it got tough. And maybe some of us have stepped out for God and we've faced backlash. And we've gone, oh, this is all just too much. I'm not, I'm not going to stick around with this, it's too much. Because when we seek to build for God, there's an enemy you don't want to build for God. You don't want things to happen. And he will rally his principalities and powers against us. They can find all sorts of forms. Maybe friends, family, colleagues, people we know, as well as people perhaps we don't know, can, can come against us. Why do you believe that? What are you doing that for? So maybe this is part of what was going on with the Jewish nation. Maybe they sort of recoiled. Maybe it's they got distracted. They got distracted. And that seems to be what Haggai's drawing highlighting in this chapter. He's not particularly picking up on the fact that perhaps things got cut, although that might have been in, in amongst the mix of things. What Haggai seems to be highlighting here is that they got distracted. They became too concerned for their own homes, their own houses, to do anything about God's house. What things distract us from God? Is it our houses? Are we all about having the greatest show home? All about decorating and making it look just so? Maybe it's our career. Maybe we're running after things to get the best promotion, get the best in workplace. Maybe it's to have the latest technology, we're just running after having the latest gadgets. Maybe it's our family. Because you know what? Even good things can be structured. Even things that God intends to be a blessing for us. If they become our main focus, they can distract us from God. So having a nice house isn't wrong. Having a great family around isn't wrong. But if they replace God, then they become an idol. Those good things we elevate to God's status. And only God should have God's status in the house. You know, they cried, not yet. Now is not the time for doing it. Yeah, 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 we will come to it. But not yet. One day, once I have sorted that out, once the kids have grown up, once I've finished my studies, once I clear this debt, once I get that promotion, once I've worked through this issue, or sorted that problem out, then then I will get on with it. But not yet. Their priorities are shifted. God has brought them out of captivity and exile dramatically. He enabled them to come back. And if they now slip into the proper, 
It seems to be a God of glory. We have been called as our commission here. In war, we are with the real man of the We will want to separate from God. And yet he brought us into a place where we can be with him forever. But we allow ourselves to slip into comfort without giving God to the Lord. Because the heart of the problem, the hierarchy of the dressing here, the hierarchy, is that they have moved from God first to me first. I came across a great quote uh, about this passage referring to saying, the drift from priority to periphery is rarely deliberate. It is usually due to destruction or difficulty. This is what can going on here for the Jewish nation. This is what can so happen and what can happen in our own lives. The drift from priority to periphery is rarely deliberate. It is rarely a deliberate choice to push God to one side. It's a drift. And it's usually due to destruction or difficulty. And I think for the Jewish nation, at this point in history, it's probably a combination of the two. Well, I say this morning, let's resist the long short drifts. That drift that happens on our beaches around our country. As things get moved along. Let's resist that. And it's about our daily decisions. That's how we resist the drift. Daily decisions. I'm going to make God a priority. Now, those of you who know me well know I don't cope with the things very well. I don't like being cold. I don't like the dog. Yes, we got an extra hour in bed this morning, but it means it's the end of British summertime. And I've just got to head down and keep going now until March. As elders, we always need to pray on Tuesday morning. We pray at 7 in the morning. To pray for one another, to pray for the church. In the summer months, that's pretty okay. But I have to be honest, it messed up. This last Tuesday, raining, wet, cold. It's like too hot. I would just rather, just rather stay here all cold in bed. No? And he says to me, you're preaching if I go one. <laughs> you're preaching in my priorities. It's in those daily decisions. And do you know what? As I was driving to the to, to pray, I just it hit me afresh what a privilege it is that I get to gather with the other guys in the church and pray together. It's a privilege actually. Might not always feel like it when it's dark and cold, half past six on a Tuesday morning. But that's it. It's about the daily decisions to put God's house, God's kingdom, at the forefront of what we do. What are our priorities in life? Our time and our finances. You know, what we do with our calendars, our wallets, our purses, what we do with our, our words and actions, they demonstrate what our priorities really are. How do they match up with God's priorities? Don't worry again, see this. The first chapter of Haggai ought to challenge us as individuals. It is never easy to devote ourselves to the work of building a house in the Lord. There is always a good reason for us to prioritize our work, our friends and family, our hobbies, and our own houses above the church that we are part of. But it is deeply displeasing to God. He created us as worshippers, 
There have been clouds of women all out of ocean. Those other things have quickly become our gods. That's why he exhorts us twice in 1, 5 and 7 to give careful thought to your ways. The devil doesn't have to persuade us to say no to God in order to disobey him. He simply needs to trick us into saying yes, but not now. This is the crux. This is what Haggai is doing as he rebukes the Jewish nation. He's highlighting the fact that their houses are all lovely and they spend all this time decorating them and making them the most comfortable and amazing places. But God's temple, God's house, is the world. So we get this rebuke, which is followed by a call to reflect. Reflection. And I call it reflection about their pointless prancing. They're dashing around, they're running around, but not really having much impact. We get it in verses 5 and 6 particularly. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a person of them. Really visual, really uh, powerful imagery being used here. So God, through Haggai, calls them to reflect on their lives. Consider your ways, ponder them, ponder your actions and the resulting experiences. Pause, stop, and think. As I read you from the message, it says, Take a good, hard look at your life. You get it twice in verse 5 and then again in verse 7. Same thing. Stop thinking over that. What is it that God wants to highlight when they, when they do that? Well, there's, there's pointless planting, there's dashing around. There's lots of activity and hard work going on. But we're not proof. There's so much that harvest in it. Lots of hard work that we're putting into things, and yet frustrating yields. God hasn't blessed their crops because of their practice of personal comfort over the rebellion of the temple. Because they eat, and they drink, and they clothe, and they clothe, and they earn wages, but it all seems to be for nothing. They're still hungry, they're still thirsty, they're still cold, and, and the money they're earning just seems to disappear, like they've got a bag of holes in it. Their efforts to care for themselves and their families lead only to frustration. So the Lord wants them to consider their ways. These things that we see in the verses, they're symptoms of the wrong priority of God. It's a very similar description to, to the one that Mike presented. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, when I was preaching on this, uh, on Mike 6, 14 to 15. No matter how much you get, it will never be enough. Hollow stomach, empty hearts. No matter how hard you work, you'll have nothing to show for it. Bash up lives, wasted souls. You'll plant grass but never get a lawn. You'll make jelly but never spread it on your bread. You'll press apples and never drink the science. And as I said, when we were looking at this a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's, in a sense it's God's judgment because they're not honouring him. It's also a statement of the reality. And we talked about the Heineken advert, the beer that was supposed to refresh other parts that other beers couldn't reach. 
So the response was progress on the building line. Progress. God's message to Haggai was heard, and there was progress in the temple we were building. They were learning seekers the kingdom of God. What might it look like to seek first the kingdom of God in our lives? In this coming week? In this coming month? What would it look like if we were seeking first the kingdom of God? The people responded and got working. They, they, got, they set out to seek uh, to glorify God in what they were doing. But then again, God responded too. And this is so wonderful, so encouraging. Now, this is the people that kept turning away and drifting off and coming back again, and they've done it so many times in their history. You have to look through much of the Old Testament to see the pattern of God pulling them back. They come back and they go off again. And yet, when they turn back again, we get this incredible response. God reiterates his promise that he said over and over again, I am with you. I am with you. As you seek to go again, as you seek to build the temple again, he says, I am with you. That promise, that assurance, that as they come back to be about God's business, God's things, he will be there right with them as they seek to do the task. He's not going to leave them, he's going to help them. I will be with you. He says that to us as well. No matter how many times we've drifted, no matter how many times we've turned away, when we come back and recommit, when we come back to his plans and his promises, his priorities, he said, I am with you. Don't fight comments on this bit like this. The promise is not only that he will be at your side, he will also be in your heart encouraging you. Look back at the end of one of chapter one thirteen. I am with you, says the Lord, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerachal, the son of Jaitul, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. If we will ask him and trust him, God not only works with us, but he moves in to stir up our spirit and gives us a heart for work. He doesn't want to cross and die hard to take his work. He wants free. Thank you.